Welcome to Blacklisted Remarks. I'm Nick Stumphauser. I'm Spencer Field. And here is a podcast where we discuss things that society often deems uncomfortable or what you don't bring up at the dinner table. Which is what we always bring up at the dinner table. That's why we're not invited to dinner parties very often. At least I'm not. Not at all, definitely. And today we're talking about something that has been a topic of heated debate for the past 40 years and then probably since its inception, that being abortion. We started with an easy topic for y'all. We thought that having starting with something like difficult would be uh, not the way to go. So abortion, pretty pretty clean issue. Just jumping right in, yep. nice and easy Good with, stuff. with abortion. Yep. So to begin, there's a few questions that you have to answer. And I think for the sake of this podcast, we should uh, define for our listeners what exactly it is we are trying to establish. Uh, I propose the ethics of abortion. Yeah, I think ethics, but then probably more like practical ethics as well. Because I think while just talking about ethical circumstances is all well and good, ethics are usually found at the extremes of actions. Yeah, for sure. So I think sure we can do that but in the format of actionable mm-hmm. ethics yeah so instead of just saying this is always right or always wrong look at something that integrates with people in their day-to-day lives and how they can put that into practice yeah or doesn't integrate with people in their everyday lives yeah i i think 50 percent of our listeners will not find this usable well, given that they cannot as of now, we have a listening audience of zero. So this is true. Fifty percent of our audience should probably agree with us. This least, is true. At least I hope half of our audience agrees yes. with us. So to begin uh, on this, I think we have to define what it means to be a person. Ah, boy, we're just gonna start. We're start just gonna. Off with an easy we're topic. just gonna go easy. <laughs> and then we're gonna start off with an easy one. And talk about what it means to be a person. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I when I was thinking this through on my car ride here, and that's how I. <laughs> advance I prepare these things um, except asking my assistant to send me a couple of articles on said topics put them in a note for me I think that the underlying issue is that of personhood um, and who counts as a person and who doesn't count as a person and I think once you kind of answer that question this whole idea becomes a whole lot easier yeah the problem is answering that question is what usually divides cultures definitely it's definitely very difficult so you often hear uh, people like current Secretary Clinton saying an unborn child does not have constitutional rights. You have uh, many theologians saying uh, the moment the sperm and the egg unite, you have a person that is imbibed with a uh, personal soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all over the spectrum, you have very different viewpoints on what it means to be a person. But let's... Uh, well, I think I'm going to tack on a couple more. Go for it. I think that in... Then you have a biological sense of the word, meaning when do you have a whole human being? A discrete self. Yeah, a discrete self would be one. The whole question of self in biology, I try to keep apart because... Right, I'm not referring to the philosophical self, just the... I understand that. At the same time, I've said that to a biologist and they've gone off on a Oh, boy. So for our biologist listeners, I just like to to clarify. Yes, not the philosophical self. And then, well, for the philosophical self, I think that's also one is when does an individual become an individual? True, yeah. But that's for 
the philosophy majors and the biology majors. We have to keep that separate. Yeah. And I think that there's some people, I had a brief conversation with an engineer about this topic this week at University of Michigan, and he said uh, his perspective was, was about the potential. When does the potential mm-hmm. happen? Yeah. And when does when does your potential originate? Yeah. So I think not only is it a question of what does the philosopher say, what does the theologian say, what does the politician say, but it's often a how do I actually view life? Where is the origination of that? And there's yeah. there's not just two answers. There's like a hundred of them, of which you have some mm-hmm. common ones. Well, I find it interesting that, and I have not yet checked the uh, catechism on this, nor do I believe the catechism has perfectly spelled out their um, view on this. But when it comes to when the when life begins, they say at conception. Now, biologically, conception, I believe, is defined as when the sperm and the egg unite. Yep. However, this is not actually when life begins because in order for a fertilized egg to be viable, it has to attach to the uterine wall. And if it does not attach to the uterine wall, it can never become uh, a uh, person. You just made a jump there. So you use the term viable, and that is imposing a the presupposition of life begins once it's viable so no i'm saying that from a purely biological standpoint you don't have all three there are three ingredients required you have the sperm you have the egg and then you have the home for it to to live and grow i disagree here's why from a biological perspective i think in most biology textbooks i would agree i think would agree with me but i haven't read most of them so i'm just going to make this claim with no substantiation kind of my my typical practice in everyday life would say that once you have all the genetic material of a human, if you were to test that cell and say this is a what cell, uh, the biologist would say this is a human cell. So even though it may not be a viable human cell, I think at that point from a biological perspective, you've just whammo gotten yourself a human from the sense of genetics at least. Okay, so you're saying, so genetically speaking, a zygote, the the combination, that is a human cell. I think so. I would agree that it is a human cell. I would not say that it is a life yet. And I think this is my, might be where we have to define what life means. Here we go. Uh, so in vitro fertilization, you take the, uh, the embryo and the sperm and you unite them outside of any living person. Yep. Uh, and you can grow that for a certain period of time. The reason why it's in vitro fertilization is you have to put it back inside the woman. And if you don't do that, it is not a life form. What happens is it just peters out and dies. Ah, see, I think that's where, I mean, you said we're going to define what life is, and mm-hmm. then you gave an example of where life begins and then where it ends. So let's back up. Uh-huh. And Nick, how would you define life? What would you, like, if you said life colon in the Nick Dictionary. The life dictionary, colon, noun. Yep. Yeah. Should we start a website? Listeners, if you're listening, somebody start nickdictionary.com. Nickdictionary.com. Yep, yeah, or a Twitter account. Every time Nick defines something, just go ahead and put it up there. I feel like this is going to quickly fold in on me and make me eat a lot of words. Here we go. So I'll put my foot in my mouth now. But uh, Good idea. I would say that life is... Uh, when all components necessary for creating a distinct self-sustaining being are in place so that it can continue. Well, see, that's a problem, though, because huh? That, I think it's I think you, you, you wrap yourself in a conundrum both ways. If you don't attach to the uterine wall, you don't have a viable life. If you do attach to the uterine wall, 
uh, and you don't have it later, then it's also not a viable life. Oh, Meaning, I, I gotta double down on this though. Go for it. You're talking about human life in particular. Let's back that up. Oh, life itself. Let's go to life itself. Interesting. Yeah. Ah, okay. okay. We're gonna back this thing all the way up. If you're listening, by the way, listeners, there's a bunch of like large truck backup noises going on. Yes, in, there is. Right now, so we're let's... we don't have the sophistication of a soundboard, so oh. uh, we're not gonna ad lib it either. I'm thinking about pulling it up on YouTube, but yeah, yeah I don't think it's necessary. Um, all right, so uh, life itself. Interesting. I've often thought about this, and I remember being in biology class and. Um, we would define life, and then a couple of my compatriots would say, well, sure, but that's life on Earth. There are elements that we haven't discovered yet. What if life evolves in a different, you know, something something that we define differently yeah, on a different planet? Yeah, we have, like, a silicone, a yeah, silicon, silicon life. Silicon life or whatever. See, see uh, Star Trek for conclusive proof of yeah. life there. Uh, all we really have as definition of life is, is what we are. So maybe I would say a uh, a system of biological processes which allow for a certain range of experience. Tell me more. So uh, a rock is not alive because a rock cannot experience. However, add sufficiently complex systems to the rock, basically turning it from a rock into maybe a termite, and you get something that has the capacity to have an experience. It's interesting because I think we've talked about this before. Without the podcast being recorded, right. that your whole idea of life or the value of life or what I think is another question I hope to talk about, does life have inherent worth and right. at what levels does it have right. inherent worth? And so you would even bring that back to your very definition of life, saying a an entity which can experience yes. has life. Yes. Uh, and, and of course, in order to experience, you have to have a certain capacity of information processing, which is where you begin the distinction from inanimate to animate matter, uh, and why, uh, to use the analogy, or not the analogy, the uh, example from Sam Harris, if I'm driving down the road and I run over a mushroom, I won't feel bad at all. If I'm going down the road and I hit a bunny rabbit, I will probably take a moment to uh, mourn its loss, even if it's a half of a second. Really? I would. I've, I've mourned the loss of a squirrel when I hit one. Oh, I mowed down a raccoon the other day. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know, I drive this this car. It's called Toyota Yaris. It's like the size of a toaster oven <laughs> or so. And so, like, when you run over a small animal, I mean, it's a serious ride. I mean, you just got, you just screwed up your suspension. Yeah. And I th- my question was, what was that? I'm like, oh, it was probably that thing scurrying into the road. Ah, <laughs> oh, darn it, I bet you that screwed up my suspension. It probably did. Need, need my, and that's, I guess that shows you how much of a human I am. Well, that, uh, there might be some difference there. But Maybe. I'm sure if uh, if, if your, your neighbor's dog ran out and you hit that, you would probably at least stop your car, give him a phone call the next day. And if it was your neighbor's toddler that Depends ran out. which neighbor, honestly. Well, yeah. And if it was your neighbor's toddler that ran out in the road and you hit that, uh, even the cold-hearted Spencer would pull over his Toyota Yaris, step out of the, the toaster mobile, and <laughs> and go uh, pay his respects to the to the fallen child. And and there's a reason why we notice this distinction. And uh, I would argue that the only answer is not a metaphysical soul. Uh, but rather a very demonstrable gradient of the potential for experience. Okay. But that was a long-winded answer, so same question to you. How would you define life with Google at your fingertips? The reason I asked you first was so I could go ahead and and Google it. And I'm really in a quandary right now. Ah. 
See, I could come off as smart by quoting the definition of life from a couple of scientific papers as referenced by Wikipedia, uh -huh. or I could quote directly from Wikipedia. I think I'm going to stick with Wikipedia. Just stick with Wikipedia. Because the other scientific papers have really long definitions. Yeah. And even though our podcast can be an hour long, it shouldn't be me monologuing. Right. There. So back when I was in high school, <clears throat> in biology class, we, always, we talked about what is the definition of life. And like your biology class, I was probably the oh, well, I didn't have compatriots in my biology class. Everybody hated me <laughs> because I was that like one kid who would ask questions to no end because right. he actually didn't understand and cared to know. And one question we talked about was, what is life? Mm -hmm. And my teacher, Mrs. Waringa, went ahead and pulled the definition which NASA uses to determine whether or not they oh, have wow. life on another planet. So I pulled it up. There, this is a seven-part definition. So hold on, Wait. buckle up, break out a pencil. Lay it on, here we go. Here we go. All right, so the first one is homostasis, the ability to regulate the environment and maintain a consistent state. So as humans do this by sweating, for an example, or metabolizing. Yep. Perfect. Uh, next one is organization, having a structure to the individual. Mm -hmm. For us humans, it's our cellular structure. Yep. For the silicon creatures, I have no idea. It's a siliconic crystal structure. Uh, third is metabolism and being able to transform anything either by an anabolic process um, or some other process from matter or light to energy. Mm -hmm. Fourth is growth, pretty simple. Fifth is adaptation, being able to change as the environment changes. Six, which I actually think goes really well hand-in-hand hand with what yours is, is being able to respond to an external stimulus. Mm -hmm. That is one which often will uh, stymie mm -hmm. us from finding life on Mars. Yeah. And the final is reproduction. Yeah. But I think you could argue that you smash a rock and you just made a bunch of small rocks, so you have reproduction there. Well, I think reproduction, which it's, uh, you know, very intricate process in human beings obviously you're taking matter from outside the world putting it into the mother and she's uh allowing two very small things to build on each other with a rock you are just merely separating it into multiple different pieces yeah you could say that about amoeba though yeah but the the amoeba has to grow before it separates yeah and a rock can't be a grain of sand it has to be a certain size before yeah. it separates okay um, that's how I think I define life. I'm not going to actually define it because that's not safe. And <laughs> I don't want somebody to throw that back in my face later. So I'm going to stick to Wikipedia. So okay. the dictionary.com the is yep. probably at the end of the podcast going to come back and eat me. There you go. Nom, nom, nom. Yeah. Nick just dropped his sunglasses. Insert editor's note here. Remove Nick dropping sunglasses. This is probably going to be an unedited podcast. So you all are treated to both the... Uh, intelligent and unintelligent goings-on here. Well, that, and I just don't want to edit anything. This is true. Yeah. All right, so back to the value of life. We've kind of defined life from two different perspectives. Right. Um, we've established the dictionary as a thing, so let's move on to does... Uh, we were talking about whether or not a fertilized egg or a... Yeah. It, it is counted as life until yeah. it's embedded in the... So when does life begin? Yeah, when, at least in our human context. Right. Um, when does life begin? So I think uh, the ability to respond to a stimulus is, I think, the kicker. If we were to go with the scientifically accepted definition instead of the Nick's confabulation. Dictionary. No, we're just sticking with dictionary. I don't want to... No, just, I okay, this side of the table, my, my team, sticking with dictionary. Okay, it's, it's here. we're swapping right. definitions. I am I'm currently adopting the... National, the National Air and Space Association's definition for life. I found it much more usable than 
my own confabulations. Uh, uh, the last one I think was, or second to last one, the last one, the second to last one was the big kicker, which was uh, the ability to respond to stimulus, or as the dictionary put it, uh, the capacity for an experience. And I think if you uh, respond to a stimulus, you could argue that that is experiencing something and therefore responding to it in a certain way. Even if it's uh, a single neuron firing as a result, all the way up to writing a book based on you know how you felt. Yeah, I think it's yeah maybe more complex than that because you could say a tree moves when it's stimulated. Well, okay, of course that's a lot. Um, that's that <clears throat> one's not going to work. But you might be able to make an argument that like a rock will roll when wind pushes it or something mm-hmm. like that. Hmm, that's interesting. How quickly this might devolve into materialism in that. Uh, when a when a tree performs photosynthesis, at bottom it's the motion of electrons, uh, and and how that responds to breaking down uh, carbon dioxide and oxygen and and what and glucose and whatnot, yep. and that is a function of life. And yet at bottom it's the motion of particles, uh, rock rolling down the side of the road because of wind. So is... where do those two ideas come together then? How do you mean? Well, it seems like you have those two connected ideas mm-hmm. that, that, well, you can make the argument that all life or all of everything is movement of electrons. So then would you say life is electrons moving in a particular way? Uh, I think everything is particles moving in a particular way. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I would say that, but there's obviously certain... Uh, there's a certain point where it breaks free from that definition and, and a new one is more accurate to describe it. So uh, when in the case of a, of a tree, um, you have all this external stimulus and it does something with that stimulus, it grows. So it fights entropy. The difference between the rock rolling down the side of the road because of wind. Uh, point number two and point number three, organization yep. and metabolism. There we go. Okay. And well, and then growth, I think, was another one as well. Oh, yeah. And point number four. Okay. So it looks like uh, in order to be alive, you have to fight entropy in three different ways. At you least. Have, you have to grow, you have to metabolize, and you have to, what was the third one? Um, organize. Organize. Uh, and... So working all these together, basically what I'm, what I'm getting at is the, the first attack on the idea that life begins at con- biological conception, the zygote, and that is it cannot respond to a stimulus. But uh, even when it's embedded in the uterus, it cannot respond. It cannot respond to the stimulus. Yes. Which is where I'm building my argument up to, which is uh, the blastocyst. Okay. And that's just sort of what I use as the, the first mark, the first... Uh, state embarkation. Em- embarkation. I don't even know if that's a word. That's the that's a Spencer the Spencer lexicon and the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> the Spencicon. The Spencicon. Uh, and the, the 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 jumping off point would be the blastocyst. The first hundred and fifty cells. And prior to that, you don't have a nervous system. You don't have a brain. You don't have a single organ. You have polyploidy, which is just cells that can be yeah. anything. Uh, for our listeners who don't know, Spencer. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Polyploidy, which is uh, cells that can be anything. They are not designated yet. They, um, they could be bone, they could be hair, they could be face. It does not matter what they are yet. Uh, and this has no capacity for experience. It does not respond to stimuli. It does not recoil from pain. It does not uh, do anything of the sort. Uh, so I would argue that prior to the, the, the blastocyst, it is acceptable to terminate a pregnancy under certain conditions. And those would be? 
Well, I don't I don't know if I want to go there yet. I think I because we that's that's a bit of a jump. I we're, we're still kind of working oh, with life okay. here. So fair. Here's what what I'm after though. Okay. We don't have to go all the way down the road. Right. But at that point, you seem to say that there's certain circumstances which allow it. Yes. Now, whatever those are, we'll talk about later. Yes. But that means that there is that prior to the blastocyst, right. you, there is at least I'm interpreting that you're applying some value. I am okay. absolutely uh, because I believe that you have to have good reason to stop a process which will produce another life. Okay, so you would also subscribe, at least in part, to the whole potential argument. Absolutely. I think it's ridiculous when it, people would assert that uh, a zygote from two human parents would become anything other than a human. Okay, so does that mean that the, the when a human begins, not mm -hmm. the question of a life, but when a human begins, right. is that conception? I think that is without question. I, I just from a purely genetic and, and speciation standpoint, you you have a human. You don't have anything else, mm -hmm. but a human when the zygote occurs. Yes. Okay. So we're gonna take a left turn here, uh -oh. or we might keep going. I'm gonna let you choose. I put my blinker on and just let you you know so you can like <laughs> grab the wheel, wrench it back, and say we're gonna keep going this okay. way. Okay. So. There seems to be this difference between the definition of a human and the definition of a life, yes. and then when the two come together, a human life. Yes. And each of them have value in and of themselves. Right. And when you put them together, their value is probably increased in some way. Yes. Or maybe decreased in, well, probably increased in some way. Yes. Then when making a determination about whether or not to perform an abortion mm -hmm. or to seek an abortion, mm -hmm. should both of those aspects be taken into account I think only I think both of them are taken into account one of them uh, is implicit and you can't shake the fact that it's a human life well a human or it's a life you when somebody goes to seek an abortion it is a human seeking the termination of a pregnancy of a human you yes. cannot shake that fact uh, so you're making a judgment based on the fact that it is a life now the type of life, the category of life that it falls under, yeah. is a higher uh, capacity for experience or response to stimuli, yeah. uh, and that I would put most value on. And then everything else from organization to growth to metabolism to product productivity in society to all of these different things, um, those I would say are secondary. But uh, that category that we call human makes that life itself more valuable. Interesting. Why? Because, so this goes back to what I was saying before, which is capacity for experience. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I get it. This is, uh, dear listener, Nick and I have had many <laughs> conversations about, uh, mostly regarding foundations of ethics. Yes. And, and where you pull, pull that from. Mm -hmm. And the, a reoccurring, a yes. consistent reoccurring, <laughs> a repetitive, consistent, reoccurring theme is this idea for capacity for stimulus. Right. Um, Capacity and, for, and, I, and I call experience, yeah. okay. experience trying to cloak my materialism in, a, in yeah. a word that's easier to swallow. Well, I think it's a pretty good cloak, actually. It, but, I think so, yeah. But call it experience, if you will. When you look at that, which is fine, I would be willing to at least postulate that the amount of experience that that blast, say for me? Blastocyst. The blastocyst has is less than that of the petunias in my front garden. 
So mm -hmm. at that rate, take the human out of this and just put the life element into it. Mm -hmm. It's probably more morally unacceptable for me to go whack off that petunia and right. stick it in a vase right. than it is to mm -hmm. eliminate that blastocyst. Mm -hmm. And and that's where, because I, based on, on what we've constructed so far, you would be correct. Your, your ethics would not be breaching. Oh, I'm glad. Uh, your societal response might be rather disgruntled from everybody involved. Oh, that's my normal state of being. That's your normal state of being, though. And if uh, if we here at Blacklisted Remarks don't care about what society thinks about our opinions, then we shall proceed. Uh, in which case, then, again, I, I think you and I agree on this, and that is that you have to go back to the discussion of the potential for experience. Uh, no matter how long the petunia is alive on Earth, uh, it will never exceed the experience of a human being, ever, uh, just by nature of what it means to be a petunia versus what it means to be a fully actualized human. Even a human with Down syndrome, Parkinson's, cerebral palsy, and pneumonia. Uh, pneumonia really affects your experience. Pneumonia really affects <laughs> Has a, a greater capacity for experience uh, than even a fetus has has yeah. can recoil from pain more so than a petunia does. So to talk about um, the difference between you know the, the the blastocyst and the petunia, I think is to say one has the potential to have more experience, to have a a more full, a greater life. I would yeah. I wouldn't say better. I would say greater experience of life See, than that. we're going to have to back up here because I, while I was talking to this engineer, he kept talking about potential. And first he said the whole problem with abortion in the U.S. is that engineers didn't define life. <laughs> he himself is, of course, an engineer. I, we took a left turn here. I, we took a moment. I said, all right, explain to me the hierarchy of life. He goes, that's it. That's easy. Pure mathematicians, applied mathematicians, physicists, engineers, top to bottom, <laughs> and then everybody else is scum. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was like, okay, got it. University of Michigan grad over there. Here you go. Woo. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was explaining to me that it all comes down to the potential for life. And when I look at that, here's what I see. Like, as a business owner, somebody who runs around in the business world, I look at a contract for what it is and what it could become. Mm -hmm. But if I was to purchase a contract or purchase something, I'm most of the time going to look at what it is in its current state as the, the core value and then what it can become only in maybe tangential terms unless I'm feeling creative in that particular moment. Really? Or, yeah, I think that's true, or I might just be saying that to make a point. I haven't quite I, decided yet. I feel like you, you might be, and I'm going to try and call you on that. Well, like, All I right, go up? for it. Go I, well, for it. I want, I'm going to put that on the table so you can call me on it. Okay. It's still on the table. You right. still can call me on that one. But I'm going to double down so you have two things to call good. me on. Good, 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 good. Yeah, we're just going to, you've stuck your foot in your mouth earlier. That's true. It's my turn now. It's all that <laughs> yoga I've been doing lately. Um, that I, before this, I couldn't do that, so I actually see that as a downside of yoga. Uh -huh. But when I, maybe, how about this? When I go and purchase something, mm -hmm. like a car or mm -hmm. a computer or something, right. like if I walked into Best Buy and there's a pile of parts sitting there, right. or better yet, just a pile of materials sitting there, like there's yeah. some aluminum, there's some silicone, silicon, and there's some uh, tin, and there's some whatever else right. sitting there in one pile, and then next to that, there's a bunch of parts for a computer, and sitting next to that, there's a fully assembled computer, I'm going to see the pile of parts is pretty much totally worthless. I wouldn't buy that even if I right. could. 
because I don't know what to do with it. Right. And see, the pile of materials is absolutely worthless uh-huh. besides what the materials are worth in and of themselves. But I'll see the computer is highly valuable, mm-hmm. meaning that at least in that determination process, I'm looking at what it is in its current state and yes. have a much lower, I don't know, thought process or less, much lower valuation process mm-hmm. yeah. for what it could be. All right. Well, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna attack the the original statement because I think you you went back and you modulated it accordingly. And in regards to that, I think you are putting what I believe in a very uh, serviceable analogy, and that is that uh, there is a progression from value less from pieces to valuable uh, a whole working system that can accomplish tasks and of course the computer and the baby are two different things but the, really yes they are uh, but it, the analogy holds to a useful enough degree um, but we don't value computers like we value life no true but our valuation process is not totally divorced from one another there are principles which apply to both. Like, whenever you use an analogy, you never have a perfect correct, analogy. Correct, correct, yeah. It's only principles which will span the gap right. between two ideas. So so where are we at? Where does this put us? Do, all, right, all right, listeners, dear listener, if you stuck with us for 30 minutes, I just think you deserve a medal or an award. This is true. Or an honorable mention or something. If you Okay, matter of fact, if you've stuck around for 30 minutes, leave a comment somewhere or yes. email one of us and say, I was a fellow loyal listener... And made it to the 32, 25-minute mark. Wow, you guys are impressive. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, let us know. Let, let's recap what we know so far. So what we know so far is, uh, is the definition of life uh, comes down primarily to the capacity for experience in scientific terms, the response to stimulus, and secondarily... If you're Nick. If, if you're Nick. Yeah. And secondarily to the ability to uh, basically fight entropy is a very... Uh, unscientific way to put it, um, which is to take outside energy and use it to your benefit to organize, to grow, to metabolize, to structure everything inside of you. Sure. That's what we're using as life. Yeah. That doesn't start until a certain point. And this is this is sort of where we diverge a little bit. Spencer, or would you say that you're you would still push for the zygote, the, the sperm and the egg uniting? Um, whereas I think I would put it I don't know. I'm I gonna... think I successfully avoided saying anything about my right. opinion at this point, and by by covering that up by asking good questions, and reading <laughs> Wikipedia articles, and coming up with uh-huh. funny names for for what Nick says. Well, let's get down to let's get on to brass tag. At least, if only for my own self serving benefit here, I would like to see where I stand on this by just uh, talking until my internal bullshit alarm goes off and, <laughs> and tells me that I don't agree with what I'm saying. Got and, it. All right, I'll sit here. And I'll let you know your bullshit alarm goes. Well, yeah. at least when I when you when you think alarm, it's going off, my bullshit alarm goes off from what you're saying. From what I'm saying, like if you can bullshit and it gets in me enough that right. I can see a bullshit alarm, that's that's, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Our listeners should probably hear it too. Yeah. So at this point, I would say that uh, when you have the the sperm and the egg unite, you have all the genetic information necessary for human life. Ah, I see a clear path now. Aha! And I'm gonna I'm gonna travel down it and run. I'm running like a gazelle. I would argue that unless you have all seven characteristics for life, you do not have life. 
And the reason I broke up the two into primary and secondary, the primary being uh, the capacity for experience and secondary being the fighting of entropy, the reason I did that is because uh, the capacity for experience is inherently more valuable than the ability to merely fight entropy. Uh, galaxies fight entropy. Okay, stars fight entropy. Um, there, there are a lot of snowflakes fight entropy. Uh, water in a vacuum fights entropy. These things happen. Um, but none of them have the capacity to experience uh, the things that go on in reality. Uh, so I would say that unless you have all seven of those characteristics for life, you do not have life. And if you don't have the most important characteristic for life, then you especially do not have a life. Not even talking about viable, uh, because we've taken very, very, very young uh, infants and brought them to, to help them to fruition. So when you have uh, the, the sperm and the egg fertilized, even if they do attach to the uterine wall, um, you don't have life. You don't have life until a certain point. Uh, and I would argue that that certain point doesn't happen until a certain amount of time after, after the blastocyst. And uh, this, this distinction is important because it's, it's like I said before, it, it's the first stake in the ground for where you can make practical, day-to-day -day worldview decisions on your position for abortion. Um, and when you're talking about prior to the blastocyst, you're talking about something that it's organized, it's metabolizing, it's structuring, but it has zero capacity for experience. And, we, and everything that we know about neuroscience and biology points us to this. Uh, after the blastocyst, you start to get ner uh, nervous systems forming. You start to get organs and, uh, and, and neuronal pathways and whatnot. And that's when the capacity for pain and experience starts to happen. And that's when I think the question of abortion becomes a practical, ethical question. Did you, did you smell the scent of, of any fecal matter wafting there through the air? There were whiffs of? Whiffs. Yeah, but I think that you, you avoided, you successfully walked through. I felt pretty good. My, yeah. my alarm did not go off good. during that whole rant. This is, but this is like a game of operation for this you. This is. Like, can I navigate my it conscious? It is without hitting it is absolutely okay. uh so i think for our listeners sake we should probably embark on a a practical non-theoretical uh way to sort of structure your opinion on abortion not, not an instruction manual but uh, sort of issue if you subscribe to certain ways to look at the world um, this is where you would fall on the spectrum. Then maybe this is how you would vote in an election. This is how you would respond when your friend asks you, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Good, because I thought you were going to make me do what you just did. That was going to be scary. So I, I vote, let's move on from having Spencer right. answer, answer our questions to <laughs> Spencer answer easy questions territory. Well, if you ever would like to embark on a rant, please take it from my hands. Oh, oftentimes you're going to have to force me into a rant. Okay. Which... I'm okay with. That's... I'm currently reading Kelly Service's Guide to Selling Techniques, by the way, in case you're wondering. That's okay. It, I, I guess it, I've lost it, Spencer. It has, yeah, that's fine. It's it's a great reference point. I'm looking for a particular name. Oh, okay. And I can't find it. I wonder if Kelly Services had it. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So from th from this point, um, the, the argument from, uh, I don't want to say the argument from, that sounds like it's a theological argument for the existence of God. The argument uh -oh. from potential. No, the... Uh, the argument based on the potential for a life. 
the potential for all seven boxes checked is very important when you're talking about abortion and, and it makes the question difficult but establishing what we have so far uh, on the beginning of life and what it means to be alive is the the biggest hurdle there so when you are a mother uh, if you ever get to that happy day Spencer yeah, when you become a mother if you ever a mother yeah. uh, when an individual is a mother and they have a, a child uh, most times the question of abortion isn't even a question they just bear the child um, I actually disagree with you there and since neither of us have any data on this right then, right then, then it's just case, pure speculation I do speculate just as much as you do okay here I would actually postulate that the question of an abortion passes through a much higher percentage of the pregnant woman population than we would suspect now they may outright mm-hmm. they may outright just push that ideas aside sure. as repulsive right but I think that 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 the potential at least right passes through many people's heads especially in our western society right i i would agree with that i think my first comment was a little too flippant i would agree um and the question of whether or not it's ethical i think or or whether or not it should be legal i would agree or i would uh, assert that they are two different things whether it's ethical whether it should be yeah let's not even talk about the legal argument yeah but that's way given that government rarely aligns with what is ethical and and makes laws accordingly or yeah or given that the whole application of ethics to government is, is yes. a conversation in and of itself for sure so we'll just stick with whether or not it's ethical so in, in your opinion uh, based on on what we've discussed so far do you ever think that there's ever an instance where the termination of a pregnancy is moral all right so now i have to back up and answer all the hard questions nick did <laughs> I can't answer that question without Very true. Very putting true. some structures on the table. All right. Um, here is my thoughts on how that question could be answered. I'll try to keep them as succinct as possible, but that's probably not going to be that succinct. I think that when you ask the question of whether or not abortion is ever acceptable, you have to ask the question of what you're terminating versus what you're risking. So maybe the most extreme example is you have some sort of pregnancy and the pregnancy is threatening the life of the mother right. and the child is unlikely to be born alive on top of that right. does that constitute a situation where an abortion is morally acceptable right and before i even before I even go towards that one i think i have we have to back up to the whole idea of when does value come about mm-hmm. um, and when can i weigh those two things as equal mm-hmm. equal item i and this is something which I'll say on a very regular basis, which is I don't know. When I think about the initial value of human life from a non-theological standpoint, which I'm not too ashamed to dive into the theological standpoint, but if I was to set that aside, I don't know that you can say a human life is any more valuable than a dolphin's life or a gorilla's life mm-hmm. or a, a, a plant's life of some sort. Maybe an acorn has the same value that a fertilized a fertilized uh, egg does mm-hmm. because while they don't have equal potential they are just it's a definition of species so if we say that a human life has no more value than any other life uh, then I think the question becomes at what point is something experiencing a pain mm-hmm. 
And then how do you weigh that that pain out? Well, before you before you go there, because yeah. I think you touched on something important, and that is uh, oh, wow, that's rare. if everything is uh, okay. Ooh, careful, Nick. If all life at origin or at bottom or in in all respects at, at its beginning when when things such as experience are, are void if all of that is equal uh, then do you make judgments based on value or uh, potential potential for experience potential I think different people see this in different ways and this is where I think reasonable minds can differ I don't when I look at the potential of something during the termination of it Especially in a scenario like this, I think that you have to do almost an opportunity analysis to decide when you cut it off. I'll give, I'll try to give an example. When I, I've run many businesses in my life, many, much of many of which had great potential, like lots of zeros, many million, millions of dollars if applied correctly, they had phenomenal potential. But I had to look at where they were, the likelihood of getting where they were going to go, and what it was going to cost me and others to get there. Mm -hmm. So even though I looked at the potential, I also had to look, take into account other factors when making a determination. I don't think, especially in the cases of ethics, that we should close our ears and only look at the potential of that life. So I'll go back to my, my perfect storms analogy, where the mother's life is in danger, the baby probably isn't going to, or whatever you want to call it, probably isn't going to be sur survive birth. Mm -hmm. Ectopic pregnancy. Sure, an ectopic pregnancy. I like that word. I'm gonna. It goes in the dictionary. Um, That's real. Okay. Yeah. I, I believe that it's real. <laughs> it's just not in the, the Spencer Con. This is the Spencer Con. Yeah, so it, it will go in the dictionary, which I'll reference on, on occasion. Perfect. Uh, and in that particular scenario, I think that you have to take into account all of those other factors, and I think that's how you start doing the math. So... I'll try to summarize everything which I have just stated in a more succinct fashion of when you're doing the math or when you're making the determination of whether or not an abortion is morally acceptable. I think that it's a complicated list which must be taken into account. And I think one of the things on that list which should not be taken into account is what species this individual is. Hmm. Rather, we should take into account all of the other ongoing factors. I can dive into those. But at the same time, I think that's fair to give yeah. a response to that before I continue. Uh, I would agree. So on on the basis of, of what you've said there, uh, sort of not, not, a, not a call to action, but a real-world practical example, um, if somebody were to ask you, are you, are you pro-life or pro-choice, uh, would you say neither and then dive into this conversation because the two-party system of... of <laughs> Whether or not you believe abortion is ethical is too much of a generalization. Uh, how, where would you put yourself? I, I would put myself squarely in some messy middle ground. Definitely. I mean, when I walk around in the church environment, which I still do on a regular basis, people ask, are you Calvinist or are you Armenian? I'm like, a, squarely in the middle in a hot, messy ground. So yeah. are you Republican or Democrat? I'm squarely in the middle in a hot, messy ground. When you yeah. ask me if I'm pro-life or pro-choice, squarely in the middle in a hot, messy ground. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Where would you feel that you put yourself in that those uh, camps? Uh, shockingly enough, I actually fall. Um, f it's not shocking that I fall far right. It is shocking that I fall into um, where most religious individuals of the Catholic disposition fall, and that is that um, I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, ninety nine and a half percent of the time, I would say I'm against abortion against terminating a pregnancy at any point at any point 
the reason being, based on the previous 46 minutes of discussion, would be uh, you didn't, you, you're not unsure what's going to come out the other end. You know, it's it's not a mystery. It will be a child, and it will be a human child. And that human child, uh, even like I said before, in the most crippled and deformed and unfortunate circumstances, will have a greater experience than any other life form on Earth. With Maybe exceptions. with exceptions. I'm trying to think. Perfect storm. You might have uh, you might have some dolphins and some gorillas that have a better experience, a better cognitive processing. Um, uh, all, all these things being said, though, uh, I do believe that there is a half a percent that you have to talk about. You, you really, you are obligated to talk about it. Um, and this is one of the notes that I took, is that moral absolutism is as much as an evil as moral relativism. Yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, when, when you have individuals, mostly of the religious disposition, who would put a blanket statement and say, this is wrong all the time, no matter what. And... Ninety-nine and a half percent of their that that statement, I would back. I would agree with them and stand arm in arm. It's the half a percent. It's the it's the eleven-year-old that was raped by her father. It's the uh, you know sixteen-year-old girl who's a freshman in high school who has a kid and doesn't and is scared and she has no idea what to do. It's these situations that you are obligated to talk about and are obligated to defend these people in this situation because you have other people going around. I'd pause you there. For sure, sure. And yeah, I, say, I think that you agree with this, but I'm just going to clarify mm-hmm. for, for our massive listening audience at this yes. point. Because with the these, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, with these large numbers, somebody, I'm sure, I'm sure, definitely. Uh, is that I think at every scenario, you're obligated to have that conversation. Yes. If somebody came to me and said, Spencer, I'm considering an abortion, I don't care what position they're in. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they took actions which clearly and knowingly put them in that position. Right or even wishfully put them in that position. Right. I think that this is such a, a, a problem, I don't know if you know, use the word, like problematic, or has such the potential for huge ramifications that at all points of that conversation we're obligated to do it and not dismiss it summarily and outright. Mm-hmm. Because too often I see people on both the religious and the political right who will just say, no, never, right, right, not right. at all. And I think that in those scenarios, even, even in the, the opposite perfect storm, mm-hmm where somebody has knowingly put themselves into that position, that we shouldn't sim- dismiss that, but rather embrace and, and engage. Absolutely, 100%. Um, every single time there's a woman who's uh, in that sad position where she has to question whether or not to terminate a pregnancy, um, the response should never be to to shame or to uh, look down on her, to condemn her for, one, being in that position, and two, considering that outcome. Because there will be times where I will stand arm in arm with her and say, yes, I think it's acceptable for you to terminate the pregnancy. Um, but uh, I will do whatever I can to make sure that's the last option uh, because of my what value that I put on the potential for human life to, to come about. Um, in regards to Awkward dramatic pause while I collect my thoughts. Yep, this is an editor editor's note. This yeah. is an editor's note. That's editor's note two. Nick takes pause. Nick takes pause. Uh, won't be edited out. Your thoughts on that? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, my brain is currently circling two particular ideas. For sure. Uh, the first one is is only Spencer will care about the answer to. <laughs> 
but it will also probably structure many of the conversations we have to come. Right. Being this, when I've engaged in these conversations with people before, there's usually two directions it could go. It's a purely argumentative standpoint, right. which is my actions don't have to line up with what I'm saying out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Or there could be a conversation where my actions must line up with what comes out of my mouth, or it's fair game to call me on it. Mm-hmm. Which kind of conversation do you think it should be? I don't know that many of us, or at least you and I sitting in this room, are in a position where we're uh, actively in in contact with pregnant women. Or uh, I've heard that there are three arguments that I've heard a lot. Um, one of them being that it's often the males who pressure. Okay, right, go back to that. Okay, but uh, I think it's okay to postulate. It's okay to to think in the theoreticals about these things, but. Um, I'd like to walk out of the room with a an actionable worldview, at least for the time being, until somebody presents me with new evidence <laughs> to the contrary uh, and makes me feel bad about thinking in the original way. But, I mean, that's learning. Uh, I want to be able to go out into the world and, and help people in that way and, and help them to think in the way that I think because I think I'm right. Okay, so fair game. Fair game. Okay. Sec- that's one thought circling in my head. The second thought circling in my head um, deals with something you said a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. in that and you were listing scenarios where you think it would be acceptable right and i think not the list itself but what's behind the list is interesting to me Mm -hmm. is one of the one of the items you gave is like this you know 12 year old girl raped by her father right or this 14 year old freshman girl whose her life's about to be devastated i do Mm -hmm. editors note spencer puts in air quotes devastated by this the birth of this child uh, or the pregnancy and the shame which is to come yeah I, I'm going to walk through this one. You're going to have to trust me that we're going to get somewhere with this one. Okay. Where, why do you think those are two scenarios in which yeah. this, where the option of abortion becomes an acceptable, yeah. an acceptable option? Because when it, this is where you do have to play. I don't, I don't think it would be considered a consequentialist. I think it would be considered a, it starts with an E, John... Editor's note, Nick looks at Spencer Just, questioningly. Yeah, uh, utilitarianism. That's not an E. It nope. doesn't start with an E. Utilitarianism. I was sitting here going, running through all the isms. I know it started with an E. I'm like... None of them. No. Yeah, no, <laughs> utilitarianism. Uh, when you have uh, a girl who, who knows she's pregnant right away, um, and we'll just use in the, in the case of the uh, freshman in college, uh, high school, hopefully she knows right away. And then, of course, every situation is unique. There is a period of time where you can rush in and you can terminate the pregnancy before that pregnancy even gets remotely close to a blastocyst, let alone the blastocyst itself. Um, that's one case. Of course, these each are going to be different. Let's say it's even further than that. Uh, uh, what young girl should be obligated by society to give birth to her brother? And not only give birth to her brother, but give birth to a constant reminder of the rape that her father uh, performed and then have to raise that child and, and just all that terribleness that, that would go on with that. Um, I'm going to answer that question. Go for it. Before we, go, before we move past that. Yeah. I think, well, that would be, and I try to say this with all loving kindness, yeah. a horrible and completely terrible situation where lots of pain and lots of suffering mm-hmm. are bound to exist. Right. And I 
I try to empathize with that. I don't know that I can on a very mm-hmm. deep level, but trying to be honoring to that situation and wholesome to what's happening there. I also, so we were to say, who are we to say that she should have to endure this pain throughout the rest of her life? Mm-hmm. At the same time, who are we to say that we should take this other life, mm-hmm. which we've pretty much established is a life, mm-hmm. and this other human life? Yeah. Because while living a life of pain and suffering, and, and honestly, okay, here we go, terrible Spencer here, honestly, mostly psychological suffering, mm-hmm. it w- which not to degrade psychological suffering, mm-hmm. um, I would much prefer at least as an outside looking in to say that while you may suffer from psychological harm the rest of your life because of we allowed this pregnancy to go through mm-hmm. at least you didn't kill somebody else off mm-hmm. because I think if you define a human life as you hit the blastocyst and then you're this human life then essentially when you kill it off you're just killing off a short person and the only difference is that they're short and can experience less so uh, i question that's yeah. where i question yeah. that's where i'm trying to get us to is i don't know that for a psychological benefit to somebody else uh-huh. or an emotional benefit right. no matter how large it is right that we should end another human life yeah that's definitely tough um and and that's part of the, not to dodge the question i hope to circle back to it very rapidly here but uh, and that's why i think each case should be treated unique um and given the what I've stated before, I think abortion should be made illegal, and shouldn't abortion be desired to take place uh, if you check the boxes, if each case is found unique and found to be justified, there should be absolutely no legal punishment to it. Um, merely just being a flippant inconvenience, uh, a, f- a frivolous misconduct on your part, and you just don't feel like bearing a child right now, that's, that's murder, uh, an unjustified killing of a, of, a, of a person, of another human being. Um, but when all those boxes are checked off, um, and like I said, each case should be unique, then I don't think it should be prosecuted. Uh, in the case of the psychological benefit to one person versus the life of another, uh, I don't know that I have the mental capacity or the mental scale to put the psychological well-being of the you know 11 or 12-year-old girl right by her father and then the child. I I don't have a processing I don't have the processing power to balance those out in my hands and say which one is more valuable yeah. I just simply don't and something my dad tells me a lot too is that um, you know when I'll comment about how I'm impressed by something or unimpressed by something else or however I'm feeling he says that, you know you have to understand that that's an 18 year old's perspective yeah and from a 21 year old's perspective or a 30 or a 70 or whatever whatever a it is human life's perspective or or even a parent yeah it's going to be a hundred percent different and that's why I think moral absolutism is not only dangerous, it's arrogant, because it's saying, from my perspective, my myopic perspective, I can make a blanket statement about how everybody in the world should operate uh, instead of treating each case as unique. And I think if each person treats each case as unique and tries their absolute best to do what's right by everybody involved, uh, they are being moral agents, and you, you really can't fault them for it. And just pointing to uh, a code or a blanket rule that says never do this is equally as immoral as as uh, uh, an unjustified killing. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think, well, I also don't possess that scale. Right. And I don't think that I will ever or could ever claim to. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some maybe principles which could be put in place. Maybe that's how we could spend the last few minutes of our conversation mm-hmm. here. 
is by outlining some principles um, in place that could be applied to that particular scenario. And from a total outsider who has never experienced anything even remotely similar to that, right. I would say from a judgmental, myopic, personal standpoint, that if we believe it's a full human life, which just has, has the potential to be something, notice, editor's note, Spencer switches entire philosophy, yeah. uh, then it would be, call it a sin, call it morally unacceptable, mm-hmm. call it unhuman, call it in, unenlightened, to deprive a human of their life simply for an emotional or psychological benefit right. to somebody else. Yeah. You no, know, almost, I say this expecting to get shot, mm-hmm. but almost no matter the circumstances, if it's emotional health and psychological health versus another human life, yeah. I don't know that I could come up with a scenario that would ever justify yeah. that. Well, because if you think about it, uh, mothers, uh, perfectly healthy, financially stable, psychologically sound mothers worry every day about their kids. Yeah. And you could say that that psychological burden, you know, depending on how far you want to take this, you say, well, I'd want to save that mother of her psychological burden, so terminate the pregnancy. And at what point are you are you starting to, you know, when does the scale tip in the, in, in the wrong direction? Um, and then, and that's something like, you know, I agree we don't have the capacity, which is why the only judgment I will ever make is if all of these things are pointing in the direction of, hey, this pregnancy really should not happen, should not be brought to fruition, uh, and you are prior to that to that first point, and there may be other points, I don't know all of the biology after the blastocyst, when things start forming, but I know before it, to me, you are, and, and I say the words clump of cells with spite in my mouth because I know so many uh, Catholics and Christians will will come after me for saying the words clump of cells because that is that it's is often hot, it's the it's the hot button phrase that's thrown around and and uh, said with venom. Uh, it is it is just a clump of cells. It's a clump of cells with potential though, uh, and that is why you put the the value of that potential on one end of the scale and the value of the people who are already experiencing this world on the other end of the scale. And you have to balance the two with right. reality. If I may close with a thought, and then we'll go roundtable principles to take away from our conversation For sure. today. While we, the, the topic of, I, if somebody's going to come after us with pitchforks, they might have right. come after both of us. Definitely. If, if you want to call that initial stage in a pregnancy a clump of cells, right. that's fine. Go for it. But at the same rate, I would say that I am only a clump of cells as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm a clump of more complex cells, which can experience more... But at the end of the day, I am also a clump of cells. So the, the reason why I use the phrase clump of cells is because it doesn't check that last box of life. It doesn't check the primary box of life, the most important one. Uh, and that no, is, no, no, no. NASA didn't weigh these one out, buddy. I did. Yes. I personally yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, I so, got okay, but I don't even have to make one primary or secondary. Yeah, yeah. Even just discussion in general on you don't – that when I say clump of cells, I say that um, as almost a euphemism for you didn't check box number seven. You cannot respond to stimulus. Spencer can, because Spencer has passed that mark, and that that distinction is yes. necessary. At the same time, you could argue the potential argument. But before continuing down right. that road further, we are slightly past time. Uh, hot hot seat, roundtable, principal gathering time. Principal gathering if time. If you're going to take notes, people, I would recommend you do it now because we know you've been frivolously taking notes this entire the whole time. time. Yes, I, I, you should have pages, pages of of spiral bound paper, <laughs> which we recommend you keep for all time right. and memorize after yes all right nick 
Could you start us with your first principle? Yes. Take away. Uh, the definition of what it means to be life. And that uh, the two main categories, I won't put one over the other, I will just describe the two main categories. Fair. First being the uh, fighting of entropy, the ability to grow, to organize, to uh, reproduce, to structure, uh, and to metabolize. These are things that uh, go against the natural order of the universe. And the second is uh, the capacity for experience, the, the ability to respond to stimulus. That is the widely accepted scientific definition of biological life. Good. I'm going to continue with our definitions uh, segment and say that when having a conversation with others, be aware that the definition of a human, at least from a biological perspective, is not a fully-fledged born person with a haircut. Rather, it's a combination of genetics, which, if tested, results in a human being. Mm -hmm. So while they may not be a human being at the point of conception, they are it, that clump of cells or individual cell would be, from a biological perspective, considered human. Mm -hmm. Next, I would say that a very important distinction that I found in shaping my own worldview, uh, and take it as you will, is the blastocyst, the first 150 cells after the zygote, prior to which uh, is no organ, no brainwave, no neurosystem, nothing, nervous system, nothing is formed. Uh, so it does not check box number seven. Even if it checked all other six boxes, uh, by purely definitional standpoints, it is not considered a life. It does not check box number seven. It cannot respond to stimulus. It doesn't feel pain. It doesn't know what it is. There's no self-awareness. It doesn't want to be a violin player. It does not want to be a fireman. It has no clue what is going on. It is purely, drum roll, <gasps> a club of cells. Oh, goodness. Break out the pitchforks. <laughs> All right. Principle number four, um, which I'm taking away from this conversation, I kind of walked into, and we didn't dive as deep into it as I was hoping to, but that's all right because we had phenomenal conversations in other directions, being that when you have this conversation, my belief is the root issue of this conversation, no matter who you're having this conversation with, is what value do you place on the fact that this is a human at, from a biological perspective, and what value do you place on this being a life? Mm -hmm. Because at the, I think at the end of the day, if you can answer those questions for yourself and get those answers from the person you're having a conversation with, the whole conversation will be a lot more productive uh, because when you're making this type of decision, value becomes a really big thing. Right. And the essence of the value, I think, uh, is something which is often missed in all of the conversations I have about this topic almost exclusively revolve around what value you give to it this clump of cells mm -hmm. being a human and what clump and what value you give to uh, something as being alive to right. defined as NASA or anybody else. Right. And that's just being a, a good uh, philosopher and a good scientist, defining your terms and making sure that the two interlocutors are not talking past each other, that they are talking about the same things. I think that's important. Uh, there might be more. The next one that I would bring up is when you're discussing this topic with uh I don't want to say real person, but somebody who's actually making <laughs> this decision, yeah. uh, do so with, and, and not to patronize my audience, but uh, I do know some people who would approach this subject with the air of moral absolutism. What you're considering is wrong. How dare you? you you're going to hell. 
there is no worse way to help somebody in this position uh, than, than approaching it like that. Meet them where they are and understand that you actually might be wrong. They could be bringing up uh, something to the table, a perspective to the table, first of all, that you've likely never experienced, and, and second of all, that uh, could put you in the wrong. And, and you might change your, your position on that. So just be, just be open to it. Evacuate all cognitive bias at yes, all times. Just do it. Hit that. Just do it. Just do that button. Yes. All right. Well, my, maybe so bold is to give the final principle before our, our closing, do. Our Go closing for thoughts. Um, and I, would, I agree with everything you said. I think I want to use my the final principle to continue it. Is that while this conversation is often had over a cup of coffee or with two politicians screaming at each other <laughs> in front of us on a stage, um, or between a mother and a daughter, oftentimes what's left out of it is the human element. Yeah. And that when this conversation is had in a, in a real scenario, editor's note, Spencer does hand parentheses again, that there's a deeply human and a deeply personal element. Yeah. And pain is going in 27 different directions. And to sit outside of that boxing arena right. and say he did it wrong or she's doing it wrong, I think is... I, I almost want to put the word cruel on it, yeah. unwise at the least. Yeah. So remember when this conversation is, is, as Nick said, happening in real life, know that we are not in the position to intellectualize this. Uh, one thing I've learned over the last couple of weeks is intellectualizing pain, intellectualizing mm-hmm. suffering, intellectualizing fear very rarely solve the issue. Definitely. And that needs to be understood when having a real conversation. With that, we've reached the end of episode one. Of Blacklisted Marks. Thank yeah. you for joining us. I, I paused because I couldn't remember the name of my podcast right. and looked over at Nick, desperately asking him with my eyes to, to insert that. If you've made it to the end of our podcast, congratulations. You officially have nothing good to do with your life. Uh, thank you for joining us. Tune in next time for another hot button, uncomfortable, make you squirm in your seat and not recap the contents of the contents of the dinner table. Contents of the contents. Contents mm-hmm. of the podcast of the dinner table. Thank you for listening. This has been Blacklisted Marks with Nick Stumphauser and Spencer Field.